It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. It's the Ulster Home Match Edition. My name's Alan Deegan and I've got William Davis here. Big match, William. Yeah, it's a big match. Uh, it's the only home interprovincial here in the series at Christmas of three matches. Grounds packed. Really getting ready to buzz. Hopefully we're going to get a really decent game. The weather mightn't be too kind. The rain has stopped, but the wind's come up a bit. It's got uh, a wee bit more miserable than it was a couple of hours ago. And... Um, it's just a huge game. It's a real must-win game for Connacht. I feel Ulster, could you describe them as weak? Well, they're certainly under strength from what they could be. Uh, they've done a mix-and-match side. Connacht are at their strongest, and uh, they need to go out and perform tonight. They certainly do. We'll talk again on 20 Minutes. Okay, William, just coming up to 20 minutes and Connacht lead 12 points to nil with tries from Masterson and Bundiaki. What a start. Yeah, it's a harem scarem start. Connacht playing some fabulous rugby. Ball in hand, really ripping in, really putting pace on the ball, looking to make space, get it wide. Sort of stuff you're looking for. The weather has cleared up now. The rain is gone and they're these they're reveling in these conditions Ulster look a little bit disjointed um, but Connacht need, need to keep the foot down now for the next 20 minutes uh, but they're playing really well and it's uh, the best all round sort of 20 minutes we've seen from them this season it certainly is let's hope they, they keep going and kick on we'll talk again in half time Okay, William, it's half time. Connacht lead 20 points to six. It's looking good. Yeah, um, more difficult 20 minutes for them. Ulster had a good period of attacking, but Connacht's defence very resolute, very well organised. Then they went straight back up the pitch, and Tiernan O'Halloran got in for a try, uh, kicked a penalty there just at the end. So they're 14 points ahead. Ulster probably going to have another little period where they get get a bit of possession and a bit of position, but they. It was very lateral. Connacht doing good so far. Great atmosphere. Crowd really behind them. And a big opportunity here for a bonus point win. It certainly is. And Ulster such a callow bench. You'd expect Connacht to win it from here. Uh, we'll talk again in 60 minutes. OK, William, it's just gone 60 minutes, 61 minutes. And the score is an unbelievable Connacht 37, Ulster 6. Yeah, Santa Claus has landed early at the sports ground. Um, they're absolutely tearing them apart now. They look a bedraggled mess. Connick playing with real speed, real accuracy, doing a fantastic job. Five tries. It's, still, it's hard to believe there's still 20 minutes to go in this game. It certainly is, and they've emptied the bench, so the bench will be looking to improve because the work rate is phenomenal out there. It really is great to see. We'll talk again on full time.
OK, William. The final score is Connacht 44, Ulster 16. Wow. Yeah, it's been a long, long time uh, waiting for a performance like that against Ulster here. Um, hard to put in words, really. It was a great night. They comprehensively outplayed them. The scrum was where it started from. They absolutely dominated that phase of the game. They did everything at speed. Great belief in what they did. And from 1 to 23, they all hit their straps. And they handed out a beating. They most certainly did. We're going to take a break and take that all in. And we'll have some interviews and we'll be back in a while. Ah, uh, look, disappointment, you know, at, at a number of levels. You know, sure, we're a bit of a battered squad at the moment and, and, and you know, some illness and some injuries but and some rotation, but uh, we probably would have expected better from ourselves, uh, without a doubt. Uh, in saying that, I, I do not want to take anything away from what Connor you know, delivered tonight. You know, they, they got a start um, and they, they kept coming. I, I think you've got to take your hat off to them as well and uh, we couldn't respond in kind. We've got to dust ourselves down. We've got our tail between our legs. Uh, we take our head off the Connaught. Uh, you know, the way they played is, is, is a lesson for us to go out next week and make sure we can replicate something close to that and, and we'll be in a good place. Uh, very frustrating. I don't think we stuck to our plan well at the start of the game. And I thought we'd give Connaught a lead and they're too good a team to get a 12-point start, especially when we are playing with the wind. And that's a frustrating thing from our point of view. Um, we had a good plan coming into the game. We didn't execute it well. Um, they're too good a team. Uh, we weren't good enough tonight. And uh, uh, fair play to Connacht. They're much better than us, and they deserve the win. Yeah, it's um, listen uh, for me. Uh, this was just a real quick time to be thankful for all the opportunities I've been given throughout my career. Thankful for everything my mum and my dad give me, my wife does for me, and stuff like that. But uh, at the end of the day, the game is far bigger than me. Both these clubs are far bigger than me. This game tonight is not about me. It'll never be about me. And the bottom line is, we produced a performance tonight that wasn't worthy of the shirt and we got exactly what we deserved and call credit to Connor. All right Kieran, um, to start with, you know, there's lots of records falling tonight. It's just a phenomenal display by your team in a huge interprovincial game that, you know, the bookies were talking about a four point spread, maybe something like that. To win the game by that margin, my first question is how proud are you of, of your team tonight? Um, personally, extremely proud. Um, been a lot of hard work and a lot of difficult times um, and you can't be anything but proud of a performance like that, uh, which I am. Um, but I think it's a just reward for the boys, you know, for the application and the attitude that they displayed. Um, I think that was the beginning and end of it, those two words, application and attitude. And I'm just delighted for them. You said you've been through tough times. We know the defeat to Zebri was a, was a marker in the sand for some people. You felt the criticism was too harsh. The response has been phenomenal, like 38 points, breaking 50 marker, and now breaking 40 for the first time in an interprovincial. It's been a superb response from your side. Yeah, I, I, I still bristle about the uh, comments uh, about a couple of games, but they're in the past, and perhaps we answered them pretty Emphatically, I would suspect. Is tonight a marker in stand for you in, in the project and what you're trying to do? I mean, I suggested, and I'm suggesting now, that maybe this is the, the night where we can really see the fruits of what you've been working on the last few months. Well, 
I mean, I'm just a coach. Um, I love my players and I, I love my team. And we're just working every day and we're trying to do things right. Um, so, yeah, we've been working hard, really hard. But we got the fruits of our labour today. And what a neat Christmas present for the boys and for myself. I'll have a good night's sleep tonight. Incredible start. The players just burst out of the blocks. That sets the tone, doesn't it? Well, that's that ab- uh, application and attitude, you know. Too, too big. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not an English teacher, as you know, but, um, yeah, no, I thought it was bloody wonderful. The, the mall worked very well as, as a starting point. That, seemed, that was obviously where Owen got the first try, but it also seemed to set the tone for a couple of other scores as well. Murmy made a great break off it at one stage in the lead to three points. It's great to have that platform, isn't it? Uh, that was a plan, mm. um, and that paid massive dividends for us, and we didn't deviate from our original plan. Um, so, um, you know, it was just wonderful. Um, keep going back to it. Application and attitude, all working together, all on the same page. It was it was a, a really good day for us. Hasn't always been that, but today it was. The Connacht have gone to run like this under yourself before, obviously two wins in Europe and a couple more wins in the Pro 14. You want to carry this on now to Leinster next week? Oh, good Lord, dear. Um, it'll be wonderful, but... Um, you know, we've got uh, a bit of rest and recuperation and um, we'll go back to the drawing board and it's a totally different opposition, uh, different venue. We won't have the luxury of playing at home. Um, so, you know, it's it's onwards and upwards, hopefully, but uh, certainly it was a defining moment in, in my eyes, um, this one, and it, it, it'll do us some good. It's, we were brimming with confidence from the earlier fixtures, but they were different. Mm. Um, uh, this is special, this one. So, um, And it was really good to do it at home. And I'm just pleased for the boys. They're beaming and, and they're going to they're gonna enjoy their Christmas, no doubt. Yeah, obviously it wasn't the most individual piece of brilliance try you're ever going to see. Um, as KK said, the... Uh, the mall we put a big emphasis on it during the week. Uh, you know, we worked really hard on it on Tuesday. There's a lot of tough training sessions to um, put a lot of work into it. So, uh, yeah, look, I, the easiest job is always to tell it. It's got it down. It's the lads at the um, at the front of the mall getting battered that do the hard work and I fall over the line. So, um, yeah, look, it was just good that the team got to try up nice and early, got our tails up a little bit, and uh, thankfully we kicked on from there. All right, yeah. delighted to say Owen Masterson is here. Owen, you're not going to take too much credit for that first try, judging by your press conference there. <laughs> you're at the back of a ball, but you deserve some credit. It's going down as a, as a nice score. Yeah, look, it's, they're nice, I suppose, to follow over the line, but as I said, um, the type five do all the hard work there. It's the, the easiest job is the fellow who sits at the back and dots the ball down. So, uh, yeah, look, it was just good to get a good start to the game, and uh, our mall went well tonight. So, yeah, we were delighted. Yeah, two tries in eight minutes, and we're suddenly up in the press box going, right, Connacht are on. Are you going back to the your own half after that second score go right this is exactly where we want to be yeah look absolutely I suppose the focus we always have is right we've scored now now we need to exit now we need to deal with the restarts on to the next thing and then I think we kind of went into a bit of a, a quiet period after that um, I think they got a penalty and then off our kick off again Maddie got up stole the ball and we managed to score off that so uh, yeah look it was always a next job focus kind of thing and we, we didn't get too carried away we didn't start overplaying which I think was important so uh, yeah no uh, I thought it was a positive 
positive start to the game. Yeah, a lot of the basics were done with extra intensity, even Tiernan Halloran's counter-attack that led to Bundy, Bundyaki's try, but one of the things that stood out for me was the mall, really technically sound. You must have been pleased with how much yard gain as you got out of it. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, Jimmy Duffy, our forwards coach, puts a massive amount of analysis and a massive amount of work in, and we put a massive amount of work in during the week. You know, it's, it's not always easy, uh, the, the sessions, the mauling sessions, you know, they're, they're quite tough, um, but the, I think they, they reap the rewards out there tonight, thank God. Team is in a much better place than it was a few weeks ago, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is obviously. You know, Zebra was um, quite a poor result. Um, we were very disappointed after that, mm. but thankfully um, we got into Europe, got two back-to-back wins uh, against Breve, and put ourselves in a good position there in that group. And then we wanted to uh, carry over that form into the Pro 14, which we've managed to do, thank God. Just reading between the lines, Kieran was really disappointed with some of the coverage of that Zebra game, but I think his frustration is not that it was a, it wasn't a poor performance. It's just maybe people are just reading too much into the ups and downs with you guys, and tonight might be more of a reflection, is it? Um, I don't really understand. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, like, was is tonight a much better reflection of who you are, and do you feel sometimes and, and maybe people are too quick to jump on a result like Zebra? Like? Yeah, look, I suppose... The coaches are in six months now or something mm. like that and it was it's a completely different game plan we're trying to play, a completely different level of maybe sophistication, different kind of different kind of game plan we're trying to play and it's taken us a while to adjust and I think people have seen that and people have maybe been a bit frustrated with that but uh, I think slowly but surely we're adjusting one or two things every single week we're getting grips with uh, one or two things every week and slowly but surely it all starts to get flow a little bit better I suppose for want of a better word but um, yeah I think we're going in the right direction and hopefully we don't uh, sit back and rest on our laurels now we keep pushing forward keep uh, pressing on and uh, will be in a good place hopefully by the end of the season I said a few weeks ago people will say if you win one from three win your Ulster game you're not doing too bad as a Connacht team because you turn the corner as Kieran said with this fixture that Ulster that Leinster game next week it's, it's a bit of a tough one to win but you've got to believe there's confidence out of this now yeah look obviously we mentioned earlier that it's a very 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 hard place to go to win mm. and very few teams win there um, our record there in that fixture is obviously great but that's all in the past I'm sure the coaches will come up with a good game plan like they did tonight to give ourselves the best crack we can at it. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. A win like that, you, you obviously were involved in Toman Park and you remember how important that was to the Pat Lamb project. A win, a win away from home could be what really, really kicks this team onto another level. Didn't it? Yeah, obviously we've, we've two huge away into pros now, so we're, uh, we're really looking forward to them. Um, yeah, obviously that, that away win in Toman Park was, was a huge uh, result mm-hmm. in the history of Connacht. And, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to try and get another one, but we're under no illusions of how difficult it'll be. Conic fans were singing jingle bells tonight. Yeah, it's something new. Um, I hope they. I hope they did a good night. You know, they made the atmosphere unbelievable. Um, there's no better place to play when it's like that. No place you'd rather be. So, uh, very grateful for them all coming out and bringing the Christmas cheer uh, to the sports ground. And uh, hopefully, they'll be back in the new year for some more. Where's your Christmas dinner? Pardon? Where's your Christmas dinner? I'll be home with the family. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to a few days off. Okay, it's the post-match section of the podcast and I've got Dave Finn and Daniel Deegan are going to help us out in uh, analysing an amazing game but first of all we need to talk about that press conference, Dave. Yeah, it was a very interesting press conference. Um, Very interesting thing to hear from King was saying. I mean, yes, obviously buoyant after the game and initially it was a compare and contrast. You had the Ulster, you had Les Kiss and Darren Cave and obviously very down. Uh, let's kiss very down with the performance of the team. Darren Cave, this was his 200th cap, and it just could not have gone worse if 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 he'd, if he'd planned it that way. So then you'd come in, and Kieran is bouncing, and all Mason is bouncing. But the significant thing that was said, and I think it's a very, was the notion that 
iconic to now having to be taken seriously. And there's two ways you're taken seriously. You're taken seriously as a 15 slash 23, and you're taken seriously as an organisation. I think Kieran was very emphasising how what the 1523 are doing means that the, the organisation can be taken seriously. And this has been a pretty big statement week because we've had Tom Farrell sign this week. We we had, uh, most importantly, Tiernan O'Hallan at the start this week because other provinces were convinced that he was gone. That's another statement of fact. You've got to take Connacht seriously. They're not, getting, they're not losing their place to other provinces as they used to do in the past. And how do you make sure that, they, that the guys want to come here and want to stay here? You go out and you beat one of your interprovincial rivals by 30, 28 points. And it should have been more with 20 minutes to go the game is won mentally some of the guys weren't at 100% for the last 20 minutes but you'll let them off for that I don't think KK will I don't think that they themselves will they know they slackened off a little bit and they should not they will feel they shouldn't have allowed the last two tries but it was a statement on the pitch it's a statement off the pitch this week and I think Kieran Keane is completely right to say that now you've, you've got to start taking us seriously both as a 15 a 23 and as an organisation as well and two best ways to do it sign up your players for two years and then go out on the pitch and put 20 odd points and on your on your on your on your arrival and feel disappointed it shouldn't have been more yeah we can't we can't argue with that Daniel you were you were impressed with that display yeah very impressed it was just from the minute go like uh, Connacht won every collision they put Ulster on the back foot in every kind of aspect for a scrum you could just see the, 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 the Ulster boys just kind of starting to crumble you're like oh this is going to be fun um, but you also look at the, the first what we did three malls in the first ten minutes and only one one was stopped by Henderson but you know you'd expect that from the class that man has but yeah like it was just it was just another level by Connacht Ulster didn't want to be there you could see after 30 minutes you could see guys getting at each other there was a there was a moment I think it was early on in the game but Bundiaki bites in on Stockdale Stockdale pops it back in to a, I believe it was Luddock at 13 and he makes a break down to the wing and he, he, he gets tackled and Cooney picks the ball up to, and takes a step which opens a little gap and Stockdale is running but stops And uh, but Cooney expects him to keep going he passes it and he goes straight to touch and the two of them have a spat for about two minutes they're just eating each other while the lineup is going on it's like you're looking at that and they're just not on the same level is they're just they're not on the same wavelength, you know. It's just you can see we are we're just humming. Everyone's getting confidence, and everyone's been their game is being raised from that. Yeah, like myself and yourself, Dave, were at the the Eagles game last week, and I, again we we spoke about the, the quality of opposition, and you have to say that that wasn't Ulster's best fifteen in a very callow side. But having said that, you can only play what's in front of you. But the work rate and the decision making that Connacht are going through at the moment was reflected by the Eagles and, and again reflected here tonight I mean I would have said actually they started with a slightly stronger team than they originally picked because when Matty Dalton went down and moved Anderson into the second row where I think he's slightly more effective they then bring in Clive Ross who's a good who's a good flanker at this level but they just didn't want to be here they were, in, they were just it, it was an attitude thing and I think that's what it comes down to and it's easy you've heard Kieran Kane attitude, attitude, attitude yeah Danny so like you know, that's, you know, as, as someone who's still playing the game, which is why we brought you onto the podcast, you know, how, how easy is it to go out and play when, when you know the team are playing like that? Um, very easy. Like, things just come off for you. You know, you, you, you start trying things, you start feeling good, you, you believe in yourself, and once you have that belief, there's no stopping you. But the thing is, you have to get that. But once you do... I think it, it pulls everybody up. It's, if someone's having a maybe a bit of an off game or something, someone else steps up. It's 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 constant. It's, it's and it, it's it, it's infectious. 
Yes, it certainly was infectious, and it, it certainly got the crowd going. They were singing all sorts of Christmas songs and, and whatever tonight. It was, um, as I said at one stage during the game, we should always play Ulster two days before Christmas <laughs> on a Saturday night in the sports crowd because it was a bouncing crowd tonight oh fabulous crowd have to say well done to everybody some great chance some great sing songs the last game once, once Jared Butler goes over it's 37-6 the crowd was going yay we can have a we can have a party and we did I thought the best chance of the night and the one that got the best reaction was uh, Bundyaki he's one of our own <laughs> <laughs> well which, uh, which went down well we said Mr Aki um, the crowd only gets to see one point of view so therefore they're fired up and there's no the idea that you have to silence a crowd it's its a cliche but you really do if you silence the, the Connacht crowd A you're probably a pretty good team we saw that we've seen the last team to do that was Glasgow and we saw the Scarlets do it and we have been here on nights like tonight like last year remember god it was an, it was an awful it was an awful night because they silenced us and when the, if you can silence the Connacht crowd you've done your job and Ulster never even came close to doing that and that's, a, that's what we have to do if the crowd is up it's symbiotic. The players, the cr- players do stuff that feeds off the crowd. The crowd then gets up and it feeds into the players. And you'll hear what the, you heard Owen said about the Owen cr- said about the crowd. A fantastic atmosphere, and that's what you have to do. So, therefore, your job as players, if we bring that intensity to the RDS, we can silence their crowd. And that vital link of symbiotic relationship that makes players play better is is neutralised. It's tough, but if that attitude goes out to the RDS, I think we can do something there. It certainly will. We'll talk about the Leinster in a little while. I just want to talk about one player in particular tonight. I was slightly worried seeing Jared Butler coming back quite so quickly. His last game he played here was the Munster win when he was phenomenal, and he was pretty phenomenal tonight again, Danny. It's pretty tough coming back from injuries. Yeah, uh, I'm sure if any of the lads are listening to this, they'll be laughing. It's like I'm, I'm a man that would get injured every maybe second game or so. So I, I've, I've had my fair few of injuries, but it's all about your rehab and how you look after yourself off the pitch you know are you doing your work your work that your physio is giving you are you taking it easy are you looking after yourself you're not going out having a few drinks or anything like that you know just taking care of yourself um and i think from when uh, a couple of years ago when i worked here uh doing a, an internship or not uh, in the summer with conor mcphillips at the time doing uh, video analysis um johnny o'connor was was still playing but he had this thing about uh doing foam rolling before every session and you'd get the lads and you could see them you'd walk into the gym and you'd see the lads messing around maybe having a bit of a laugh and a joke you know before training as, Ed, as, as every team would but Johnny would pull them over and get them doing foam rolling stretching you know I think he's, he, he probably brought that up a level from back then now that he's a coach and I'd say that would have helped Butler big time certainly would because again it's another person we need to get interviewing on the podcast because the one thing we're looking at this year is is the number of players we have available to us at this stage of the season it's something that's highly unusual at this stage of the season that we've been able to pick from such a, a, a big squad of players oh yeah it's not that we don't have an injury list I mean there is it's, but it's it's there are a few places I think we lost two props this week we don't know how long Buckley's going to be out we know JP is having a hamstring operation it's out till April that's that's a bad that almost sounds like we may have come off the bone that's mm. that, that's that, that sort of thing doesn't happen we know that uh, Brownie's out for a while we know that Jake won't be back till April we know that um, get, that in the backs Craig is coming back from injury played, played 20 minutes last week um, but Butler was phenomenal Butler was phenomenal I mean, to, just on principle what is significant with KK that's slightly different from under Pat is guys are not 
being gently brought back in. If they're fit and they're ready to go, they go straight into the first team. There's no, I will break them back gently, we'll give them a couple of games, get them up to match, match, fit, match speed. The changes that were made this week were to freshen up the guys. Guys, guys, remember the same 23 played in both games against Bruce. So you can understand if guys are taking a bit of a bang. And there are three, these three games are going to be massively intense. So you do want to freshen up. But there are guys, as we saw, and that, you know, the intensity, I come back to the, I come back to the Eagles game. The intensity level was as high. So as I said on Wednesday's podcast, any of those guys could have stepped in. And I mean all 22, including the three, the three long lads that we had to go looking for to find out exactly who they were. Because <laughs> even our research isn't, that, isn't as comprehensive as we'd like it to be. Yeah. Um, but they all had the right attitude last week and they all could have stepped up. Now, that's what he wants. That's what he, that's what he needs to have. That's what he needs to have. So that if he does have an injury crisis, those guys can step up. I think... I think what you saw tonight was a squad who, who guys were asked to step in and they did and their, their attitude was completely right because all of them last week had had, had the right attitude in the winning game. Weirdly, Ulster had a lot of those guys played against Hartbury. They did exactly what we did to Richmond, but their attitude wasn't right. And I think they were... They made one selection decision which I could not fathom. I don't know, was it an injury-based one or it was, it was just a respiration one? And it summed them up. It summed them up. They are really... They are struggling for depth. We aren't. And that, sorry, Ulster fans, that is not a, not something I have a huge problem with. <laughs> no, certainly not after tonight. And um, we leave the wrap up of the game there. It was um, highly enjoyable, as you can hear from my voice. It's on the it's on the way out. And we lost William earlier on because he's he's had to go home. He's got a bit of a chest infection, and all the roaring and shouting tonight didn't help that. Um, so he's he's um, moved on. But he did do a great interview with Damien Brown that we heard the first part last week for people who want to hear about how Damien's getting on um, he's an uh, ex connor player who's out rowing the Atlantic at the moment um, he's struggling out there I think he's, he's still um, having finding it difficulty in the, in the weather conditions that are out there but if you want to hear uh, the second part of the podcast that or the second part of the interview that William did it's coming up right now Can you take us through a, a, what a day on the boat's going to be like? Is there a plan for that? What written? I know. I know it'll change. But what do you? What do you think it's going to be like? There should be a plan, but I haven't got. I haven't got one written down because, um, really, as a solo rower, you're the one of the advantages you have is you can uh, kind of. Um, row when you want and rest when you want whereas if me and you did it together it would be two hours on two hours off for 24 hours a day until we get to the other side but I can be a little bit more um I can just have a bit more choice so if conditions are really good like and that means the wind and the currents are behind me and the boats moving well west um I I could stay on the oars for you know four five six hours with maybe just like a 10 minute break here and there just to stand up and uh, let some pressure off you know my kind of hip flexors and that sort of area mm-hmm. uh, just make the most of those um, uh, conditions but like if their conditions are adverse like if the winds are against and I'm, I'm kind of at a speed of one knot which is you know not much um, it's really slow uh, you're you're using a lot of energy for very little reward and you have to kind of weigh that up would it be better not getting some rest and recuperation and getting some kind of sleep and some food uh, and just um, putting out a thing called the power anchor which will um, hold you in place against the conditions you know it holds about two tons of water underneath obviously underneath the water and it just stops you getting blown back and 
losing that valuable um, ground that you've worked so hard for. So, so there'll be a lot of kind of weighing up and making, hopefully making smart decisions as I go along. Roughly what I'll say is that I'll probably row uh, 12 to 14 hours a day, try and sleep for six and then the other, uh, whatever it may be, uh, four to six hours will be kind of boat maintenance, um, body maintenance, and um, eating, you know. So um, life will be really, really simple. There'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of, stru- a lot of stuff will be kind of stripped away, obviously, you know. Uh, it'll be pretty, it'll be obviously hard, it'll be taxing mentally and physically, but um, that's the way I kind of roughly see my day is panning out. And when you say, how, how how do you have a little cabin that you can sleep in? or Exactly, yeah. So the boat's about seven metres long. And then on the um, uh, the, the stern or the back end, there's a cabin uh, which has has a bed, has um, all my uh, navigation, communication equipment. It has my uh, water maker. So... Um, for example, if I was to encounter any storms, uh, I would just basically hunker down in there. It's water; it's obviously weather tight, so just close the the hatch and uh, put, you know, I'll have put out the power anchor, and um, yeah, just um, just wait it out. You know, uh, it's apparently talking to uh, previous rowers. It's pretty uh, horrendous um, experience because the cabins are. Um, they're roasting like they're about 40 degrees and there's a storm going on outside you're getting battered around the place you know so and you could be in there for you know um i've heard of the lads been on power anchor in storms for like 48 to 72 hours so in a in a very kind of enclosed space you know uh, that's um 40 degrees so <laughs> you'll need a lot of um you'll need to a lot of mental uh kind of processes to to deal with that one you know um that's, that's someone in this. That's like someone like the understairs cupboard. Is it size wise, or is it? Like- I can lie down, uh, no problem. Uh, my boat is is just designed for a solo rower. Normally, solo boats are for two people, so the, there's a little, um, a bit less space. But uh, I have. Uh, uh, so there's uh, quite a, there's a little bit of headroom. I can sit down uh, without being crouched over, and I can lie down fully extended as well. So, um, yeah. It's there's a bit of space, but like listen, it's it's pretty small. Yeah. And and food wise, how 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 do you deal with how does is it how do, how does how does yeah. it work? Um so it's dehydrated or freeze dried food. Um as a solar roar you have to bring ninety days worth of food because you could be out there for that sort of length of time. And uh you bring six and a half I have to bring it's weight, um it's done on weight, so I have to bring about six and a half thousand calories a day, which is a lot of food to uh, to attempt to eat on an ocean, I imagine. Um, so I've split it up between. There's loads of there's quite a few companies now that do, um, pretty tasty kind of dehydrated foods. You know, there's good choice of meals. So I bought from a lot of them. Tried to keep it um, quite random. You know, so I'm not kind of getting the same food every day and just you know getting you know bored and uh, kind of sapping morale a little bit so every day i'll be picking out a different pack and it'll hopefully have different meals from different uh companies so um and then i have a snack pack as well every day which is kind of you know protein bars and peanuts and uh biltong and that sort of stuff 
which is a bit tastier. And then every seven days I have a little treat uh, in every bag which uh, some chocolates and sweets and that sort of stuff you know so again it's just for morale really it's just what i imagine i might need you know something to aim for in a smaller um space of time than the, the larger space of time you know and talking about keeping morale about what how does your communications work um so we have to bring two um satellite phones we communicate through satellite phones uh, we can text message email and take phone calls or make phone calls uh, we have one for the race and uh, the, the duty officers, the people who uh, kind of run all the safety with the race. And, and then we have one for personal stuff. Um, I will be, I will have a guy doing my weather. That means like he'll be looking at about four different weather um, providers and then he'll be trying to advise me from, he'll be in Scotland. And so I'll be talking to him through emails and text messages and the odd phone call. He'll just trying to advise me what's the quickest and safest route, you know, to avoid what's coming or to make advantage of what's behind me. Um, so, yeah, and then, yeah, I'll be able to obviously communicate with family and friends. And I think, you know, that'll be really important. When I was in the desert, um, the the people who ran the, the Mountain de Sabla had a, an email facility. So every evening they'd come round to your tents with uh, anyone who sent you emails and just pass you out and there was a lot like there was eight people in a tent uh, a Berber tent you know kind of open at two ends uh, mm. and um, there was a lot of tears uh, <laughs> shed in those uh, uh, from those emails you know so it's really important um, that uh, you know for, for me anyway that like people are kind of thinking about you and making an effort to maybe communicate in some way even if it's just the, the silliest email you've ever got it means a hell of a lot when you're out there so uh, so that's uh, that's something that will be um, yeah huge to me mentally while I'm out there and is that something that you have to something like that could the emotions work against you do you have to channel that or maybe read them at the right time or um is is that part of the training process that you're you have to to take that sort of stuff on board at just the precise moment quite quite possibly um i i have an idea that i'll probably ask um certain people close to me to write a letter and that will be really important at what time i may open that letter you know um and read it i think the emails will they might like you don't know one or two of them could have a huge emotional effect and you may um you know you may have a high and a low from it who knows uh again it may be a, a case of um just reading it as a like uh just taking it as it comes you know and learning from maybe experience uh when's good and when's bad but um definitely in regards to letters the reason i'm kind of doing it is um if things get really low, you know, it might be something um, really powerful and positive to be able to read uh, that could, um, you know, pick you out of a big hole. So that's the idea behind those. You've given this a tremendous amount of thought. It's, it's obvious just talking to you here and, and you'd have to. You, you can't take this on on a whim. This is something you've really got to get ready for. It's unsupported. If... What are your options if if you get into a really serious situation? Um, 
it, it completely depends on the situation, I suppose. Um, we have an, ex for example, if it's medical, like if it's some sort of pain or break, we have a lot of uh, an extensive medical kit that could deal with a, a lot, like a heavy enough pain load. Um, if it's technical with the boat, like if the boat, <laughs> like you could cut, you could cut these boats in half and both sides of them float off. So, you, in regards. Uh, ocean vessels you really couldn't be in a safer one um we did a lot of kind of qualification courses back in february you know like first aid and sea survival and navigation and all that and they're telling us like the last time you want to make con uh you want to lose contact with that boat is when it's about to go under literally the last inch of it is about to go under so uh, that has everything you need to survive on it, you know, so you really don't want to be losing contact with that going into a life raft, for example, is what I'm, I'm trying to get at. Um, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a support yacht that follows the whole fleet. So they're always, you know, within a few days of you anyway, at worst. Um, if it's even more of an emergency to that, the nearest ship has to, by maritime law, has to come by and um, rescue you or, you know, um, aid you. Uh, there was a case a couple of, I was a good few years ago apparently, but there was a guy um, got into serious difficulty. Uh, the nearest tanker came by, picked him up. Um, he was basically uh, naked while he was rowing. He got off the, he got off the, um, he got off the, his ocean rowing boat onto the big tanker. Um, the tanker was going to Gabon he forgot to grab his passport when he was getting off the boat. So he ended up in Gabon in a boiler suit that he was given from the tanker uh, with no passport, no money, no clothes. So that's the sort of thing you have to be. We have a grab bag on, on deck, you know, so basically that has all the essentials. If we do have to um, abandon ship, you just grab that and uh, don't forget it because something like that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about big ships, you're tiny in the ocean. How how do you have a bleeper on board to tell them you're there or or do you have a warning device that says be aware there's something much bigger than you in the vicinity sure yeah so we have um we have a thing called an AIS automatic identification system so um you know we'll be going through uh, a lot of shipping lanes as we cross so uh, basically, yeah, it's it's a bit like you're at the reverser on your car. You know, the closer you get to each other, the the uh, less uh, space between the beeps and the louder they get. Um, it's not something you really want to hear at, the, you know, at five o'clock in the morning when you're asleep. <laughs> that will induce some serious panic, you know. But uh, yeah, you know, it's probably going to happen. So um, it's there for your safety. So the minute you hear it, you get a on the VHF, you know, the intership to ship um, communications, you just let them know you're there because like you said, you're, you're nearly an invisible dot on the ocean. And, um, you know, although they have, um, they have watchmen on all their, um, all their uh, bridges, uh, you're easily missed, you know, especially if there's a lot of white tops, you know, the tops of waves, like, and, you know, you can be easily missed. So, um, yeah, you just, uh, just let them know you're there and they'll they'll change course. And how long do you think you'll be able to sleep at a time? So I think I I think the most I'd probably get is four hours probably. Um again a lot of this will be kind of 
just I'll, I'll kind of make it up as I go along you know how I'm feeling how conditions are um ideally you'd sleep at night and kind of keep that you know have a, have your main kind of sleep your four hours or whatever in the middle of the night um and just trying to keep some sort of normality for your body because it's it's going to get a serious shock um no matter how much training you've done those first few days you know it's not really going to know what's happening to it so um to just to keep some rem semblance of normality for it and, and that you're still kind of getting some sort of sleep at night i think would help it a lot in in just its recovery um uh recovery properties but uh i kind of hoping i'm hoping like for maybe six hours sleep a day maybe more i i it is a race you know i'm uh i'm not interested in winning it but i'm interested in kind of um been as as good as i can be um and getting as cross uh, kind of as fast as i can get across you know i'm pushing my limits that way so um i'm sure the the kind of competitive animal will come out in me you know for me to test myself you know um and see what i'm made of so uh you know, maybe kind of six hours is a is kind of probably the maximum I'll, I'll be looking at to sleep for a day. And will you be able to, to track the other boats, or are you just you're just on? That's it. Yeah. You, so yeah. you don't know whether you're leading or you're second or you're fifth. Or I, the only way I can find out is by talking to somebody at home. I won't know where anyone else is, uh, but everyone at home will know where I am and all the other boats are. Um, so. That's the only the only real way I can find out. Um, so yeah, no idea where everyone else is. But if I don't ask, so how how can we follow you? Us sitting here in our <coughs> sitting rooms in December and with our maybe our glass of Christmas Talisker or something <laughs> yeah. something similar. How can we say right? Let's just see where this this chap is. So um, I'll, we'll, we'll get a tracker put on the boat about a week before the start so kind of the start of December um, and I'll put up a link on like all my social medias but damianbrown.com <clears throat> I'll have a page there where uh, you can see the tracker it's called Yellow Brick Tracker and it's uh, it's basically just watching dots across the ocean but it's uh, it's highly addictive I, uh, I watch Gav's dot basically Gav Hennigan's dot every um every day last year every of his 49 days so uh yeah so that's where to go and and uh yeah like i said i'll put up the link now there's some you're you're doing this as a big challenge but there's some charities involved in this can you tell us about those sure um so it's a really important part of it you know for me um I think, uh, you know, I'm in a really privileged position to be able to even attempt to take on something like this. So um, it's very important that, um, you know, you do something with that, you know, for a bigger picture. So I have three charities um, that I'm raising funds for. Um, Medicine Sans Frontier, which is uh, uh, Doctors Without Borders. They, um, they, are, uh, they provide emergency med medical aid kind of on the front lines of like uh, natural disasters conflicts uh, humanitarian crises so basically they're doctors and nurses um, and anesthesiologists and all sorts that go into the most volatile regions in the world you know think 
think Afghanistan, think Syria, think Iraq, think uh, Central African Republic. Uh, they're right on the front lines trying to help the people who are most affected, you know. So they, they're an organization I've just incredible admiration for and um, was really uh, passionate about helping them out. The second one is uh, Madra out in uh, Camus and Connemara, which is a... Um, uh, home for uh, rehoming um, abused, abandoned, and neglected dogs. So um, I'm a dog owner, as you saw, and a dog <laughs> lover. So uh, and a Goijin, obviously. So really keen. You know, they they do a lot of really good work here in, in our community, and um, and uh, you know, rehome dogs all over Ireland and and the world actually. So uh, um, yeah, like I said, uh, really um, keen to help them. And then the last one is. Um, Strong Roots Foundation. It's a school for um, it's a school for um, orphaned and street children in uh, Kigali in Rwanda. I met um, I was traveling in uh, Rwanda and the DRC about two years ago with a mate of mine, and I use a website called Couchsurfing all the time when I'm when I'm uh, traveling, you know to just to, to meet locals and to kind of see a little bit more of the uh, local culture and lifestyle and, uh, you know, um, uh, just get a, a more of a deeper essence of what life is like there. So so I used that and I met this guy, Pascal Blaze, and uh, uh, he was telling me his story, incredible kind of story of resilience where he... Um, Basically, he was born into a family with two older brothers, mother and dad. His mum left the family when he was three. His dad died three years later when he was six, leaving the three older two his two older brothers and himself um, to survive. Uh, they survived for a few years, and then uh, during the '94 genocide, his two brothers went out to work one day. Uh, they were uh, repairing bicycles. Now they were only fourteen and fifteen at the time, but they never came home leaving uh, Pascal Blaise as a nine-year-old, um, you know, without his his whole family that he had like five or six years before that. So he uh, he, he became a street child and he survived for two years on his own on the street. And then he was, um, uh, he, uh, he was taken in by a widower, as he calls her, and uh, she eventually gained his trust and took him into his house, her house, and put him back into school and he got an education and uh, graduated, um, excelled actually in school and graduated with a certain languages at 18. And he set up Strong Roots Foundation to kind of just stop what happened to him happening to, you know, many other kids who were orphaned because of the genocide or who are just from impoverished backgrounds. So currently he's about 50 kids between four and nine in a, in a one, one or two um uh, two room building in Kigali and um, it puts a huge sorry they rent that building and it puts a big drain on the resources of the uh, school obviously so we're hoping if we can raise enough money that we'll be able to build a new school out there um, and I think you know if, if nothing else comes from this uh, you know this uh, challenge and this campaign that would be something pretty amazing to be able to do so uh, currently, we've raised about fifty-seven thousand euros um, between the three charities, um, which is uh, you know beyond expectations. I haven't even rolled yet, so um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's you know like I said, it's it's exceeded all my expectations, and hopefully we can you know get a few more bob before the end of this.
Well, it's an amazing uh, undertaking. It's quite a, a stunning thing to have a go at. We'll be keeping an eye on you, and Damien, we wish you well. Thank you for talking to the Craggy Rugby Podcast. Thanks very much, William. My pleasure. Okay, that was Damien Brown, and we wish him the, the best of luck as he works away across the Atlantic. Um, and we're going to talk about something that is almost like an Atlantic challenge for Connacht, and that's to win in the RDS, something that they have never, ever done. Dave, do you think they have any chance on New Year's Day? Well, they've always got a chance, but there's, again, I, I, I've said it previously, I'll say it again, it's the attitude. If the attitude is the same tonight as it is... So is the attitude the same on, on New Year's Day as it is tonight, as it was tonight? Then yes, I think we can win up there. I think there's two factors. We there's two things that we need to factor in. We do, that's basically constant is the selections. We don't know what what our guys are our, our minutes are because it was significant that Olsen didn't go off tonight. He played the full game. I, and I have to say I thought he was outstanding. Right. Uh, but uh, Kieran and Bundy both were substituted off, so maybe they might play. We have absolutely no idea what selection the Leinster could do. They could pick a completely different fifteen and still be packed with full of internationals. Just from looking at their team they're putting out against Munster, I think their pack will be, will be if if they do do that, I think their pack will be weaker, but I think their backs will be better. But that, that, I mean, that's that's we're talking, we're not talking huge differentials between either. Um, it's it's hard to know. I, the game last year was so frustrating because we thought we had them. We thought on paper we we had a much stronger team. than a couple of raw lads, but since then Adam Burns gone on to uh, to get capped, and Barry Daly's gone on to to be a. a Possibly on the verge of being capped um, does help the place for Leinster. Um, so like, we can't simply go, oh, it's a callow, it's a callow Leinster team because we thought that last year and they, they deservedly bet us. And but I think the attitude was wrong last year. I think the attitude is right now. Away from if this game, I tell you what, if this game was being played, in, I want this game to be played in France because I think we can win in France. <laughs> I just don't think we can. I just sometimes don't know if we can win uh, away in this league at the moment. But I just, you just feel that there has been a sea change in attitude and I think that's huge if, the, if this game was being played a month ago I'd say do you know what best of I think we'll go out and give it a crack but I think we'll fall just short dependent on the Leinster selection dependent on how they come through against Munster because that's going to be a war um, I think we will go up there with a very very good chance but the attitude has got to be right and we will need as many of those bodies but Butler will be better for a game tonight. Bundy, Bundy, the Bundy Tom sent partnership is back again. All those guys will be better for tonight. And you can't, what better way to go up than on a 44 point win? And also, the three extra days are going to be huge. Yes, I was going to bring that one to you, Daniel, as someone who's still playing the game. You know, having to play a, a high intensity game five days after playing a high intensity game away from home, how, how does that affect your body? You, you think you're okay. But you, you're tired. There's just that last 20 minutes is a little bit harder than it would have been in the first game. It's just that little bit of fatigue that you don't. You, you can prepare as best as you can. You know, maybe not train one day, but you have to do at least two or three days training because you can't stop and do nothing. But um, yeah, I, I believe it's that it, 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 player management comes into it. You know, you have to be careful. You can't overwork some guys because you know after one game. I've never played at this level and I'm, I'm sure it's a hell of a lot harder than what I do and I'm coming out I'm black and blue and I need at least two or three days to recover so you know if they're turning around after five days you can imagine what their bodies are like you know and it, all it takes is another knock in that same area and you could be gone you know you, you, it, it hurts a little bit more 
Okay, and what about you know playing away from home? How how much different is it? Again, I know you're not talk- we're not talking about playing at the top level, but playing away from home as against playing at home with a crowd like that behind you. Like you'd, you'd like to think there'd be a few Connick fans cheering the team on up in, in Dublin. It's not that far away, and there's a, there's a fair chunk of Connick fans up in Dublin. I know I, I check our stats and I see that you know the majority of people who listen to our podcast seem to be from Dublin or from the Dublin area. So like you'd like to think some of them will come up and 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 support the team. So you know how important is it for for players to have people roaring them on on the sideline? I think it's very important, and uh, I'm not sure if you could have seen it on the TV, but I certainly picked it up on it. It was uh, just after our second mall, and we're heading towards the line. You can picture Bundy, and he's throwing the arm up. Why he's still paying attention and roaring calls, he's throwing the arm up because he's listening to the crowd. The crowd are starting to cheer, and he's, he's bringing it on, bringing it on, bringing it on. Because as a player, it just gives you that extra 10%. You don't know, I don't know only, but it's, it's just that rush of adrenaline it's, it's that extra It's there is something about playing at home in front of your own crowd but if we have enough of a crowd up there it doesn't matter whether you're home or away as long as you make yourself heard you know if the players can hear you it makes a hell of a lot of a difference really really does ok so we're looking for a lot of Connick supporters to get themselves <laughs> up to the RDS on New Year's Day and we try and break another record because like we broke a number of records here tonight the first time we've ever scored more than four tries against Ulster First time we've scored over 40 points against any province. First time we've won twice in a row uh, in the sports ground against Munster, against Ulster, ever. Not just in the pro era, ever. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, Pat Lamb went through a series of having records being broken by his team and now Kieran Kane's team are starting to do the same sort of thing. And we're going to go straight to any other business because we're tired, it's late, and we want to go and celebrate that win. Uh, but first up, we're going to talk about uh, the Women's Ireland Women's Squad for Six Nations. Quite a few Connacht players in there, Dave. There's seven Connacht players, three backs, four forwards, uh, a lot of the usual suspects you'd expect. It's good to see Mary Healy get back into the squad. thought she was very harshly... Uh, treated to be left out of the World Cup squad Uh, some of the repercussions from that are significant Um, I say from a Connick perspective we have seven in good to see Adele McMahon come in you guys have been raving about her and she was very good for the Barbarians against Munster Um, Alison Miller is there as Marie Coyne and Mary Healy the backs and we've got Kira O'Connor and good to see Nicola Friday get get back into the squad and also uh, Laura Fieler from Galwege is another prop Um, again I, I feel my big bugbear with the women's team is A, they only get to play three interprovincials and they all seem to be diabolically scheduled against Connacht games. Um, but that's a rant for, that's a rant for, for another set of, of podcasts. It's been interesting what Adam Griggs does because we have no idea what his starting 15 is going to be. He has to make a lot of changes. He needs a new 10. He needs, um, he needs a, pretty much a whole new front. You know, so he'll need at least one front row because effectively he's lost one because of the, of the retirements there. Um, and also, there's just he just needs a bit of a feel-good factor into into Irish women's rugby because it's not there. He ha- he wasn't been helped by the fact that Sophie Spencer has immediately retired, having been left out of the Six Nations squad. Again, in terms of of what she brought to the women's game, in terms of her presence, and in terms of her own personal story and what she's doing for the women's game, it's a bit of a blow. I don't think she was particularly impressive during the World Cup, but then again, was anybody? And I don't think we're particularly blessed with locks, especially because you know you've lost Maz O'Reilly, who was retiring anyway. So there's a whole new second row. There's going to be some new props, a new and a new out half. He's got his work cut out. But from a Connacht perspective, yeah, good to see our guys there. Yeah, and I suppose in, in the back row we might see a change there because Danny, you saw Adele McMahon in action up in in uh, 
in Donnybrook and she's um, a pretty effective flanker. Yeah, she, she hits like a train. Like it's, it's the only way to describe it. I think it was about two or three minutes into the game and uh, the Leinster second row caught the ball and Adele just cut her in two. It was just, it was just like, woof. It, it was just like, you know, you're looking at it, you're like, wow, that that's some hit. Like, but it was her work work rate as well. Um, she's great with ball in hand. She gets her hands free. She gives great offloads. But her work rate, she got tackled, made not gave an offload, and got straight back onto her feet to, to receive another pass. And you know, like that's is that's what you want from a back row. Just this constant work rate, this constant desire to keep working just this hunger for that yeah and the front row went well as well like they seem to have Leinster under a bit of pressure yeah quite a bit of pressure uh, I, I'm not sure I think quite a few of the scrums that were even Leinsters were turned over by Connacht purely from the power of that front row just had them under the cosh I think that might have been that might have been helped with Ja Ja Nocton and uh, Jason East who I would have played rugby with who were both superb forwards and who were also coached by Dan McFarland who's now the Scotland coach and he's a he's an interesting he's an ex-Connick coach but he was a he's an interesting taskmaster we'll, we'll put it that way yeah just just to clarify Scotland forwards coach forwards and coach. Jason forwards. and Ja were props so yeah <laughs> okay so yeah so hopefully we'll um, we'll keep track of what's going on with the women's game and in, in the Six Nations and uh, be watching it avidly Okay, and Dave, you you weren't too impressed with some of the uh, the hairstyles that were on display tonight from the Connacht players. Oh, I don't want to pick on tonight's team. I mean, uh, Nihi has gone to all the hassle of getting uh, highlights put in his hair and then has to wear a scrum cap, so it does seem a little self-defeating, that. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, there's some. I think somebody needs to sit down with some of the academy boys. I know that Owen Masson is not impressed with Sean Masson's haircut. He thinks, that, he thinks he needs to get a sensible back row haircut, a bit like Dan's here, uh, like, and a bit like his own. Uh, he was very much flowing locks. It means he stood out last week, and, you know, his reward has been to be the only Connacht player named in the under-20 squad that played a scratch game against Leinster A developments um, Peter Claffey um, great great potential really good young lock and locks don't develop into the mid-20s by which time he may have developed a good haircut um, I mean I'm, I mean each, it's each individual guy uh, needs can, you can have flair but the backs have the flair uh, the sports needs to have good sensible haircuts unless you're a prop and from South, South Sea Islands you can't a, a, a prop should have a, a, a front, certainly a front five which have a good sensible sleek haircut uh, Joe Marler has proven that that's not a road anybody wants to go down um, Shane Byrne tried vainly to keep the mullet in, in in fashion for 20 years and has failed miserably good sensible haircuts or shave your head yes I think um, some more of the players need to go to Fat Tony's to get their haircut as Danny did the other day and I will be too um, yeah, great place and we're not even sponsored by them but I'll, I'll give them a plug right so next up on our any other business we're going to talk about this is something for um, another podcast that we normally have on who was on last week um, Packy this is for you there are now stats produced by the Pro 14 to prove that the Gilbert ball is the best Okay, and a bit, of, a bit of any other business uh, from William, who, uh, as we mentioned earlier, can't make it tonight. He was pretty annoyed at the uh, the classic headline from a, uh, a Dublin-based paper um, when Tiernan O'Halloran re-signed for Connacht this week. The headline was, Tiernan O'Halloran not heading to Munster after he signs a new contract extension with Connacht. Like, hello, why does the Munster thing have to be in there at all? The only people proffering that were the independent themselves. 
kind of frustrating, kind of annoying. But then again, one of the reasons why we exist is we get frustrated with those guys and their. And I think it's, it's, it's important. I think that is frustrating people who are slightly more involved with the squad than we are. I think I get the general impression that that, that sort of thing is, is not going down well. There was no. None of the Dublin papers sent down a frontline reporter tonight. Somebody would be known as their rugby correspondent. Now, we know Lindley does amazing work for the Irish Times and has produced some fantastic stuff for them, but their rugby correspondent is not Lindley McKenzie. The Irish Independent's rugby correspondent is not anybody that was here tonight. If this is an interprovincial game, there's only six of these a year. It's on a Saturday night in Goa. Yes, it's the Saturday night before Christmas and traffic is going to be mental. It didn't. You feel a little bit like the poor relation, like the black sheep of the family, and despite having done nothing. And that headline, it's just, it's. It, I hate the fact that we have to talk about it, but it's symptomatic. It doesn't. It's not born of nothing. Exactly, exactly. And then the final point tonight, I will bring up. As I oh oh oh, Dave's got something else. I really think we have to say this. There's been a new award put in for the community coach of the month, and the first one was announced this week, and has gone to Will Thornton. He's works with Galwegians and Corinthians. He does a lot of work in the secondary schools and national schools in around in the city. And it, uh, I, I don't know him personally, but uh, like Packy again does and says it's, uh, the work he puts in is phenomenal. And I think it's it's really good to see that the first award that the IRFU gives out for this new for the community coaches has gone to the guy based in uh, in, in college. It's great, great stuff. That's news to me. Yeah, excellent. Well done. Well done. And we'll finish off with my uh, weekly weekly one at this stage. The goalpost iron painted, but unbelievably, I might be wrong, but it looks like the crossbars have been painted. I don't know. They look very white to me. See where the crossbar meets the post. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely been a bit you've of work. Been, you've been away too long, man. Now you go, you, you stand behind the post like we did just before the game, and my dad nearly gave me a heart attack because I know the groundsman here, Dave, great man. Dad He's a great man. Pulls out the phone. It's amazing. But pulls out the phone and go and take a picture. I was like, oh, you're not taking a picture of the bloody posts. He's like, the, the man is standing right there. <laughs> yeah, but I was taking a picture of the flags blowing in the yeah, background. Yeah, background. Yeah. You have to get, you know, oh, you you're talking about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no, I'm convinced that those those crossbars have been painted. So we've had some movement, folks. We've had some movement. Let's hope for the next match, which is not for nearly a month. Madness in this sports ground. But hopefully by then, we might have some painted goalposts. We leave it there. Cheers, folks. Yeah. And a quick addendum to this week's podcast for a notice that came in a little bit late for us to be included in the match day section of the podcast. There is a supporters meeting in the Bridge Bar, Balls Bridge, after the Leinster match on New Year's Day at 5.30 for all the Dublin Connacht supporters and we hope to see plenty of green-clad people there.